in my ear anyway. All right, but now I can't roam. Now I got to stay here. That's, that's, that's tough. But okay, so that's better. Uh, hopefully you heard what I said before, just about youth mentoring and uh, adult Christians, 21 years and older, who spend two to four hours with the troubled young person for two to four hours a week for a year. Uh, what we realize that it's in the power of Jesus that you go to begin with, but it, it just is important that people understand that there's a ministry behind you that, as I had said, if you didn't hear, we train you, we pray for you, we walk with you in order to help you uh, to minister to this just this one child. And I'm going to show you two videos. They're very quick. They're only a minute and a half each. And the young man that's going to be in there, and he is a man now. He's about 32 years old. His name is Perry. And he's going to give you a picture of what things were like in this video when he was growing up and when we first met, uh, matched him. Okay, I want to roll that. A lot of the kids that we work with are in situations just like you heard, and they need a friend. They need a Christian adult to come alongside of them, one who will show them the love of Christ through their friendship and show that child that they are important, that they have value, that they are created for a purpose, and that they have a Father in heaven who loves them enough to send them a friend who then tells them about Jesus. And the question here is, what is God calling me to do? And that's a really important question, because I do realize that the need is not the call. And that's a profound thing. There's plenty of needs, and the need is not the call. But we are responsible, each one of us as Christians, to discern what it is that God is calling us to do. And I'm here to give you an opportunity to respond to a call, perhaps a call that's different than any other that God's put on your life, and at the same time, it's the same call that has been on the life of all Christians, which is to go, to be salt, and to be light. And sometimes we need to look into the mirror and ask ourselves, are we being salt and light? And to what is it that God is calling us to? It's no secret that our culture and this world seem to be spinning out of control in so many different ways, and yet, as Christians, we know that God is still in control. As Christians, we are not polishing the brass on a sinking ship. We are not rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic because we know that there is so much more beyond this present life that we live. 
This world will pass, but people's souls will go on forever, one way or another. In C.S. Lewis's famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, he ends with this sober reminder that every single person you encounter on the street, in the classroom, at the workplace, in the home, or lying next to you in bed is immortal in a very real sense. Knowing and believing this truth will transform how you value and treat one another, and more so, it will generate a, great, a greater desire to offer the perishing the hope of eternal glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to watch Perry again as he tells you, and hopefully you're able to hear it, as he tells you the impact that a mentor had on his life so many years ago. Call him on Monday. He'll make sure that he's done that. And he smiled ear to ear just because. And uh, it's contagious. You know, him being kind of a nerd, he would make me do jokes that would make me laugh. And it would get my mind off it. And he would then use that humor to help me get past what I'm going through and to figure out a solution. A biblical one. Through his help and through his guidance, I came to know the Lord. And the Lord made himself known that he's real because of Jim's help. Even though the Bible says man will let you down, Jim has never done that to me. He was an inspiration to me to become a better person in life. He doesn't think you have to pay him back for any of the things he did. He just does it because he's called to. I mean, that's, that's a mentor. You know, that's a mentor. If you could see that, it said that um, Jim was a part of Perry's wedding party when he got married last year. And it's just been a, a, he's been such a tremendous blessing in his life. And I'm just asking you if you won't reach out to just one child for two to four hours per week. Within a five mile radius of this church, there's eight young boys and three young girls that are waiting for a friend to come alongside of them. Overall, over 160 across Long Island. And that doesn't count the group homes that we minister in. That's just the list that we have for people waiting. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40, Jesus replied, Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The ministry of Long Island Youth Mentoring fits like a glove into the mission of New Village Church, to know Jesus and to make him known. If you think God may be calling you, I'm just asking you to please fill out one of these bulletin inserts, which I misplaced. Oh, one of these, I have them out there by the CD rack, you know, these and, and my uh, business card if you need to get to the website and things like that. But if you think God may be calling you to this, just take one of those, fill it out, give it back to me, uh, hang around and ask me some questions afterwards, which I'd love to answer for you. So thank you for that time uh, regarding this. Um, this sermon this morning is called Caring for the Sheep. And I thought long and hard about what message to give here this morning. 
I've been in the Old Testament for the last several months, and I really thought, I really believed that the message was going to come from there. And uh, it, it may yet still, we'll see. But for now, uh, as far as I planned and prepared, the message is going to come from John 10 and the Good Shepherd. The reason that that came about is because it has such an affection for God's institution of the family. And I wish to make an appropriate application in that regard. At the same time, over the last few months, the scriptures regarding the shepherds, both the good and the bad shepherds, I mean, have just kept coming back to me, whether it was in our family devotions, it was in our devotions at Long Island Youth Mentoring, in conversations with people in general, the theme just kept coming and coming and coming. And uh, two Sundays ago, I was speaking at a church uh, uh, presenting youth mentoring, and sure enough, the pastor's message was on the Good Shepherd. And I'm thinking, man, I'm just, I just can't get away from this. So that's what we're going to do here today. As you know, our family has been on staff with Long Island Youth Mentoring, and at times, the burden of ministry and numerous transitions that have affected our family, sometimes in adverse ways, brought me to a point that at some point, all good things must come to an end. So I want to tell you a story regarding that. It was 9 p.m., and we were driving my car to pick up some ministry materials, and two of my older children were with me. And I told them that we were going to be leaving Long Island Youth Mentoring, and I was going back to school. As I know my children love me, and they also want what's best for me and for us as a family, I expected they would be excited for me knowing how much I desired to complete my formal training. As I drove, one of them, barely masking their tears, said, Dad, what will this mean for us? What do you mean, I replied. Well, she said, I don't think I can deal with another transition right now. The other one agreed immediately. I was stunned, not hurt, just very surprised. They asked and I tried to explain, but no amount of explaining could persuade them that this would be a good thing for them and for us as a family. It was quite a fitful night of sleep and prayer. And as God would have it, the very next morning I was in, because it was next, John chapter 10. The Lord impressed upon me that morning that I had a greater responsibility to those I had been charged to care for than I had even realized. When I went to my children later that morning to tell them I was not leaving Long Island Youth Mentoring or going back to school, <laughs> Candace and Holly burst into tears and protested, saying, Daddy, that is not what we wanted. Don't do this just for us. I calmed them down and told them that what the Lord had shown me through his word that morning and how thankful I was to them for being honest and for speaking up, for saying the hard thing because the Lord had used them in more ways than they could ever imagine. Now, that incident happened almost 11 years ago, and it was eye-opening for me to feel the responsibility that a shepherd has for his sheep to grapple with what my wants and desires are versus what is best for my sheep, for my family. With that backdrop, I want to take a look at what John 10 is saying to us. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, flows directly out of chapter 9 in that Jesus is still talking to the same audience he was in chapter 9, but by calling himself the Good Shepherd, he is drawing a stark contrast to the false shepherds of that time. We're actually leading the people away from the kingdom 
and the Messiah, rather than drawing them closer. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the elders were not following the Lord. They were following the laws of men and dragging others down with them. So we're going to take a look at six points which are in your outline in the bulletin there in, uh, regarding chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, and then look at some present-day applications. Number one, a good shepherd devises a means to protect his sheep. A good shepherd devises a means to protect his sheep. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, and most of this we'll read here will be the words of Jesus, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. When they weren't roaming about, the sheep were often kept in a pen or a fold, a sheep fold, as it were. Now, this was not only to keep them together and protect them from wandering off, from leaving the fold and the supervision of the shepherd and thus being killed by wild animals, but it was also to protect them from anyone intruding into the flock, whether that was a human being, you know, to be a thief or an animal to kill. So the pen kept the sheep, the sheep in, but it also kept outside influences out. Jesus also used here the metaphor of the gate or a door, the point being that the shepherd entered into the sheepfold through the gate. He was trusted, and it was expected that that is the way that he would come in. Whereas if an intruder or a thief was coming in to steal or an animal in search of food, they weren't going to necessarily look for the gate. They were going to come in by whatever other means that they could. But the shepherd came in through the gate. Even so, many times a shepherd would sleep in the gate area just to be sure that he would be adequately watching over his sheep and protecting them against outside intrusion. And then sometimes a shepherd would post others, if he had them, at strategic points around the outside of the pen also to protect and to watch after the sheep. So a good shepherd, shepherd takes these kinds of precautions and others, uh, not unlike the rod and the staff, which we're not going to get into today, uh, to protect the sheep and those that are trusted in his care. Number two, a good shepherd, and this is important, a good shepherd does not drive his sheep. He leads them. A good shepherd does not drive his sheep. He leads them. Verses three through five say, to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, our picture here in the western part of the world of a sheep herder, or of any kind of herder for that matter, is of one who drives sheep using horses, using dogs, using whatever means necessary. You know, I mean, you have the picture. It's macho cowboys with a Marlboro in their sleeve and all this stuff, and they're riding hard, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah or whatever it is that cowboys yell, you know. <laughs> but the point is that they're driving the sheep. The sense is that they push the herd along, often against the will of the herd. But the picture of a Palestinian shepherd, of a first century shepherd, is much warmer and much gentler than that. And it's the one, this is the one that Jesus likens himself to when he calls himself the good shepherd. The shepherd did not drive the sheep. He led the sheep. By the sound of his voice, not the volume of his yelling, 
by the gentleness of his walking feet on the pasture, not the pounding of the horse's hooves on the hard ground. By knowing them very well, by name in fact, not just as dumb sheep with a number who need to be poked and prodded every second, but he knew them and they knew him. So they trusted and they followed him. He didn't have to push them. Now you can contrast that with the religious leaders of Israel at this time that we're in right now uh, that did not care for the sheep, but also in some of the commentaries I read, they said it's likely that Jesus also had in mind Ezekiel 34. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. Ezekiel 34, where the Lord came down very hard on the religious leaders of that day, and we're talking about some 600 years prior to Jesus' time. Listen to just some of what the Lord says to those so-called shepherds in Ezekiel 34. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Woe, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. That is not leading. That is driving. And not only were they driving instead of leading, they were not even caring for the ones that they were driving. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. My flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them because the shepherds are not doing what they were supposed to do. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live declares the Lord. Surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for the lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. A good shepherd does not drive his sheep for his own selfish purposes. He leads them for their own good and for their growth so that they can thrive. Number three, a good shepherd provides life-sustaining nourishment. Life-sustaining nourishment. Literally, and spiritually. We just read in Ezekiel 34 how the shepherds got fat while neglecting to feed their own sheep. And this is speaking of a spiritual sustenance more so than anything else. Those bad shepherds were concerned only for themselves and were not caring for the sheep as they were supposed to. And you could see that the Lord was angry with them for that. Jesus was well aware of that too. So hear again what he said in verses 7 through 10 going back to chapter 10 of John. Therefore, you shepherds, oh, sorry. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Up till then, in the first five verses or so, he was leading them out of the pen as the trusted shepherd, and they followed him. Now, Jesus is calling himself the door or the gate by which all men must enter into his fold, into salvation. Just as the sheep will need to go through the gate in order to be led to proper pasture lands so they can eat and grow, so must we. And he makes the point that until he came, the shepherds were thieves and robbers, caring only for themselves. Jesus, though, has come that we may have life, and that so abundantly, and spiritual life for all eternity. Number four, a good shepherd takes personally the protection of his sheep so that they can thrive. In verses 11 through 13, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I thought it was interesting because I've read this verse so, so often this week in, in verse 12 where he says, um, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. Go look on the door to the deacon's office and see the envelope that is up there. I won't even tell you. Just go look. You have to look and see the application. I never noticed it until this morning. But in any case, uh, a true shepherd will put himself in the way of danger, risking even his own life to protect his sheep. He makes that point graphically while also referring to our own salvation through his substitutionary death on the cross for our sins. Jesus knew there was a price to pay in order to keep the sheep for all eternity. And a good shepherd also knows this well and is willing to do the same. A false shepherd, one who is just a hired hand, one who basically has no skin in the game, will never do that. And that's one way that you can tell a false shepherd who do they care about more, themselves or the sheep. Here at New Village, we are so blessed to have a shepherd in Pastor Mark who truly does care about the sheep that God's given him. One who is willing to nurture and encourage, to teach and exhort, and when necessary, to rebuke and to correct. A good shepherd does all these things because as hard as that is, and make no mistake, that is hard. It is what is best for the flock. It is best for us. And if you are a shepherd in any sense, it is what's best for your flock. Number five, a good shepherd knows his sheep by name so they can know and trust him. Verse 14, know his sheep by name so they can know and trust him. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. The good shepherd has revealed himself to us as a caring, willing participant in the lives of his sheep. And we need to do the same. He is willing to get close to them, to make himself available to them, so that he will know them intimately, and they will also be able to know him. The good shepherd is all about relationship. He has to be, or how will he know and understand what the needs of his sheep are? Please listen to what God says in Ezekiel 34, now beginning in, in uh, verse 11, right after the, where the section where I ended. This is right after he rebuked them for those last 10 verses. For thus says the Lord God, 
Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I myself, God, I will search for my sheep and seek them out. Because where are they right now? They're scattered all over the earth, he said. They're scattered all over the hilltops. They're not in the pen. They're not being protected. They're not being watched over. They're in danger. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. The good shepherd knows what his sheep need and he is ready to provide it for them because of how much he cares for them. And I got to tell you something else, which I mean, this was like a a thing that the Lord illuminated to me this week that I, I had never known before. And you may say, well, duh, you didn't know that, but I I didn't. In verse 14 again, he says, There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture. They will lie down. Did you know that generally speaking, the sheep don't lie down? They don't lie down because if they do, they're much more, they're defenseless enough as it is. They got those silly little mouths, and I mean, they're very defenseless. They're not just kind of dumb, they're pretty defenseless. They do bite, though. Any pastor will tell you the sheep bite. But they they are somewhat defenseless, very defenseless. And when they lie down, they're that much more defenseless. Okay? So when he says they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture, it's because they trusted him. They knew that the good shepherd was safe, that he cared, and that he was watching over them. And so then, of course, I said, oh, wow. Well, that brings the remembrance of Scripture. I never thought of it. In, in Psalm 23, of course, it's the, the shepherd's psalm. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, again, you might have known that. I, I did not realize the, the significance of them lying down. And trusting enough to be able to do that. Not having to worry at every, you know, who's about to eat me. Again, go look at the picture of the wolves. Okay? It's pretty neat. Number six. A good shepherd loves his sheep sacrificially. A good shepherd loves his sheep sacrificially. I'm going to read verse 14 and then 15. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father... I lay down my life for the sheep. He lays down his life willingly, not under compulsion. No one took Jesus' life for them, from him. He gave it up for the sheep. He gave it up for us. Praise God. And that reminds me of one of my own personal favorite scripture verses, verses Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you think there's a connection there? Of course there's a connection there. So what does this mean to us right here and right now? Beyond our salvation, beyond the confidence that we have of who Christ is in us and who we are in Christ, is there application for us today? Well, if we are to be more and more conformed 
to the likeness of Jesus every day of our lives? And yes, there is. There must be. There has to be. For myself, Lord willing, as a godly man, a godly husband, and a godly father, and hopefully in that order, I know there is so much here for me to follow. Earlier, I told you that story of me thinking I would be leaving this ministry 11 years ago, and yet here we are, and we're about to enter into our 14th year. My children know my voice, and they trust me. And thankfully, the Lord has humbled me enough, and that was not an easy job. We have a big God. If he can humble me, we have a big God. But he humbled me enough to be able to listen to their voices. Did I let them make that decision for me? No. That would have been wrong. That would have been absolutely wrong. Did I take note of what they said, though, and realize that I needed to bring this back to the Lord again, who made it abundantly clear that we were not to leave, but that we were to stay? Yes. Thankfully, yes. To the men in particular, in our families, and for those families whose men are absent for whatever reason, we need to protect the sheep. We need to stand in the gap to guard the gate, to guard the sheep pen. Things such as the internet, music, the enticements of the world, clothing choices, entertainment, education, dating, you name it. We need to be aware and we need to be involved. There's a battlefield out there and in here at times too. And the war is over the souls of the people we love. But it's also over the souls of people who have no one to come alongside of them and need someone to do that. Perhaps it's a widow or a single mom a struggling adolescent, a youth mentoring kid, a brother in Christ, someone sitting right here in this room who needs you, a shepherd to stand in for them. A good shepherd leads his sheep. In our families, we don't drive them. And that's something that needs to be taught. When my son Nick was four years old, I had to go away and I sat him down to explain that he would be the man of the house while I was gone. But that his mom was still his mom, so what he needed to do was to lead, not to lord. He got it as much as he could at four years old, but over the years, we talked about it more. For the next 17 years, whenever I was gone, and until he got married, he would lead while I was gone. But I told him every time, Nick, you got to lead don't Lord. Now, Lord willing, he'll continue to do the same with his own family, and when I have to leave for whatever reason, he'll still check in with ours, and I know he will. Men, we need to equip our young men. We need to train them how to be Christian men. Ladies, we need to train our young daughters, our young women in the church and out of the church to be godly Christian women. If not, who will? If we don't help to direct their paths, you can be sure that someone else will. Someone else will. Nature abhors a vacuum. A good shepherd takes note of the condition of the flock, our wives, our children, the fatherless child in your neighborhood, and he feeds them emotionally, physically, and spiritually, creating an environment for them to grow, for them to thrive. In other words, we give them life-sustaining nourishment, both for this life and for the one to come. And of course, Jesus is the one and only good shepherd. But at the same time, he calls us to be shepherds that are good. We are to be there for our wives. We are to be there for our children. We are to be there as a shepherd does always. 
for his sheep and to not waver in that. And I just want to ask all of you, men and women alike, who is God calling you to shepherd? Who is God calling you to shepherd? As Christians, we are all called to be in relationship with those in our own sphere of influence. And so I want you to please consider how are you doing with that? From the smallest circle of influence out, if you have a spouse, how is that going? If I went up to your spouse and I said, hey, so-and-so, does your spouse know that you are the most important person in their life after Jesus? What would they say? Then the next circle, you and your children, do they know your voice because they've heard it enough in a loving way? Do you know your voice and can you hear it over all the noise of all the things that compete for your attention? Can they trust you with their feelings enough to say, hey, this bothers me? Or can I talk to you about this? Can they trust you with their feelings? The next circle, your extended family. Are we just another arrogant Christian in their eyes? Or can they approach us without being judged? Your coworkers, do they even know you're a Christian? I'll tell you what, when I came to know the Lord and I was 29 years old, there was one person in my entire life that had actually witnessed to me in the first 29 years. And, I, and that only occurred to me many years later, actually. But after I came to know Christ, I couldn't believe how many people were Christians around me that never told me. I was, uh, was going to say stunned and shocked at the same time. I was stocked. But what about your neighbors? What about your sports teammates? And on and on and on. We have a chance with the Lord's help to make a difference. And most of us are never going to have a stadium filled with 50,000 people like Billy Graham does. For most of us, our influence is going to be one person at a time, and it's going to be through relationship. So please take a look at those relationships, and don't be afraid to ask them, especially the ones that you love the most, hey, how am I doing? How am I doing? We have the model of a good shepherd in Jesus, and we need to not only follow him, but to lead others to him. That's my message for today. We need to be shepherds in the model of Jesus being a shepherd. And for all of us, that's going to look a little bit different. There's going to be things that are common because some of our roles are common. There's going to be things that are different because we have different roles. But Jesus is the model for us to follow. We're going to close with a song. You don't have to stand. I mean, I guess you can if you want, but you don't have to. It's, it's a canned song. It's called Lead Me. And it's a song that has been very meaningful to me, and I hope it touches you as well, and that uh, the words will be up there for you to follow. Um, and then after the song, uh, actually, you know what, Kat? Let me just pray, then we'll do the song, and then we'll do the benediction, okay, honey? Let's pray. Lord, there is so much that we could pray for right now. Lord, we give you thanks that you are the good shepherd. Lord, that you love your sheep so much that you laid your life down for us. Lord, that you model what it means to be a good shepherd, to protect them, to teach them, to lead them, not to drive them. You were a shepherd that could be trusted. You were a shepherd that was gentle 
and strong at the same time. Meek never meant weak. Lord, help us to follow your example in whatever place it is that you have us in life. And Lord, for those of us that are men, that have families, that have wives, that have children, Father, help us to be the shepherd that will lead them and love them and nurture them and give them room to grow and an environment that they can thrive. Not only so that they can know you, Lord, but so that they can become who you have created them to be. That we would give them an environment for life and encourage them each according to their own bent. Lord, that we would give them enough room to be different because they are not us. They are who you created them to be. And Lord, for the women who have husbands, that they would respect their husbands as the men are called to love them as Christ loved the church, but that the women would respect their husbands. Lord, that they would teach their sons what a godly mother and wife looks like, that their daughters would see the same and be able to understand through their example what it is that you're calling them to do in the future, Lord willing. And Father, there are always people around us that don't have one or the other. And you call us to stand in the gap because if we don't, someone else will. Help us, Father, to do that. Help us to know who it is that you're calling us to and who is our flock that we would shepherd them well. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good God.